Sincerity is not the same as propriety, but you live and learn. I have always admired a line from Bernard Malamud's novel, The Natural. Roy Hobbs is in a hospital bed facing Iris Lemon, the girl he left behind and now longs for again. He tries to apologize for his past sins, but Iris stops him. She says, we have two lives, the life we learn with and the life we live after that. Suffering is what brings us towards happiness. is an adult podcast for those aged 25 years and older. Scientists and doctors tell me that that's the age that your frontal cortex is finally fully formed, whatever that means. Supposedly, that's when your brain has finished cooking. I'm not recommending anything in here, and I certainly don't accuse anybody of anything. This is all a work of fiction, fantasy, and entertainment. Enjoy. Coming from the movie The Green Knight, David Lowry, 2021. Pretty sure it's Lowry. It wouldn't surprise me if I got that wrong. I'm doing this all by memory. Um, as, if this is your first time joining us, and I do feel obligated to kind of do this, um, this is a clip show. Basically, our show comes in our, me and the mouse in my pocket. Our show comes in several types but mostly it's words and music. A kind of neuro-linguistic programming, if you will, in a very loose sense of the word, where I point the listener in the direction of different pieces of media I've encountered or different ideas I'm turning over. And then the second half, which is an electronic music mix that I've remixed uh, and added samples to usually. Some of them don't have samples, but the good ones do which are motivational, more ideas, cognitive enhancement. It's meant to put you in the flow state for exercise. And originally I started making these for snowboarding, and then I started using it with trail running, and then I I realized, wow, these can really elevate 
the psychological experience during exercise to match the body's experience. And then you have a really kind of crazy harmony. Unfortunately, the electronic music on its own needs a pretty deep definition and ex explanation. I'm not necessarily going to do that right now. But I will tell you that listening to electronic music is just like listening to classical music. And you have to develop an ear for it. The metaphor I use, which I probably use too much, but it's so effective, is it's like riding a bicycle. You have to practice it. You have to open a certain part of your awareness to understand what it means. And all this is true unless you go to a rave in the 90s on MDMA. I hope that cuckoo clock comes into the recording. <laughs> Man, I hope that comes onto the recording. If not, the cuckoo just went off. If you went to a rave at any point, or even if you've been exposed to electronic music on good MDMA, then you know exactly what electronic music is. Because what your ego does is stop talking, and your heart starts listening, and, and the electronic music says to it, I am an expression of biorhythm in musical form. In other words, if the different parts of your body were musical instruments, this would be the electronic expression of that. And the best way to identify it is the bass line, which is a mimic of your heartbeat. See, I said I wasn't going to do a long explanation, and I did. Ah, I could have done a longer one. I didn't lie. Okay. Um, thank you for being here. This is a clip show, so there's going to be a lot of clips from the media I'm digesting. I'm going to try to recommend some stuff. Speaking of which, opening music, The Green Knight. This is a movie, which is a remake of the Arthurian legend of Sir Gawain. Amazing casting, amazing... You know, it's just the movie's very well made, and it is a sleeper, man. No one's talking about it. No one even knows about it. 2021, David Lowry, I think. Um, buy it and watch it over and over and realize why the ending is the way it is. And the fact that that ending... And man, I'll tell you, the, the Arthurian legends are absolutely not something that would anyone would want to popularize now except for those seeking the esoteric tradition because they're incredible. In other words, thing that, things that need to be kept private and not made a fuss about because most people don't have the fortitude emotionally or psychologically to deal with the true natures of this life. The fact that we're supposed to be copying nature. We're coming around. But someone who does, the opening quote, comes from Brad Miner in a book, The Complete Gentleman. Everything about this episode is congruent. All the media I'm digesting right now is all congruent. It's to help me through a station in life I never thought I would find myself in. I'm appalled by. I'm saddened by. I'm embarrassed by. I'm also angered by. I feel hurt by. Um, disrespected by. I could not begin to articulate the way I feel truly. Mostly it's just gross. No matter how many times I do this opening monologue, how many times I try to avoid 
my true emotions, the way I'm feeling, they seem to come out in one permutation or the other. That was the most gentle. I'm in a hard station right now. That's a lot of these quotes. If you listen to them deeply, if you listen to the music deeply, if you listen to the entire presentation here, you're going to get a certain resonant tone. It's not necessarily feel good. So if you're in a light mood, if you're looking at something jovial, this is not it. I never know what these are until I make them. And they're pieces of art. That disclaimer in the beginning isn't a joke. Uh, this is only meant to be taken so seriously, but by everyone except for my son. Whom... I miss dearly. So forgive me and thank you for indulging something emotional because this kind of content is actually pretty rare. In fact, there's basically like a narrative in content providers that you provide happy, happy, joy, joy. Joy Diaz refers to it as uh, jumping up and down, screaming ha ha. If there's anything I ever appreciated about Joey Diaz, it's that he was willing to emote on his podcast and talk about serious shit. And then he'd be like, hey, all right, let's burn some wigs. Uh, I, I, I do actually temper this show with some uplifting stuff, but then it gets back and heavy again. And, and it ends, I didn't do this on purpose, but in, a, in an exceptionally beautiful way. I haven't decided whether or not I'm actually going to put music in this one, like a DJ set. I think I'm only going to put one of my electronic music songs at the end. Um, and then the next episode, promise a DJ mix. We got some cold weather coming. The snow in the mountains is going to improve. We need to do some snowboarding. Thank you for being here. This podcast started out as an experiment. It continues to be experimental. Hey. What are you barking at down there? There's a mountain lion that's been cruising around. The challenges of the human condition are surprisingly similar in their gravity. Loss is loss. When a person's dead, they're dead. Okay, too dramatic. Too dramatic. It's okay. This is going to serve as the record it's supposed to. Remember... This is a record of one man's trajectory through the grand arc of the American decline. That's probably the best tagline I've ever ad-libbed. I can't even say it again. Thank you for being here. Thank you for indulging this. It is a piece of art. It's just a pepper. For the stake of your life. Maverick Matthews. Here's Brad Miner, the complete gentleman. Better red than dead. This pithy maxim had enormous appeal. It seemed the essence of American common sense. And it was frighteningly hollow. Here is Sidney Hook's retort. It is better to be a live jackal than a dead lion, for jackals, not for men. Men who have the moral courage to fight intelligently for freedom have the best prospects of avoiding the fate of both live jackals and dead lions. Survival is not the be-all and end-all of a life worthy of man. 
Sometimes the worst thing we can know about a man is that he has survived. Those who say life is worth living at any cost have already written themselves an epitaph of infamy, for there is no cause and no person they will not betray to stay alive. Man's vocation should be the use of the arts of intelligence in behalf of human freedom. No better statement can be made about the gentleman warrior's view of his place in the scheme of things, unless perhaps by the example of one of the great gentleman warriors of our time, James Bond Stockdale. Admiral Stockdale, 1923 to 2005, who was for eight years a prisoner of war in Hanoi, did not fare very well as the vice presidential running mate of Ross Perot. But that unfortunate episode hardly tarnishes his Congressional Medal of Honor or his 26 combat decorations, among them two distinguished flying crosses and two purple hearts. Many people know something of Stockdale's prison experiences, which were chronicled by him in such books as In Love and War, written with his wife Sybil, and A Vietnam Experience, Ten Years of Reflection. But most may be unaware of the extent to which he drew strength during his captivity from the works of Epictetus, the great Greco-Roman Stoic philosopher. At one point, on the eve of yet another interrogation and beating at the hands of his North Vietnamese captors, Stockdale recalled the words of the philosopher concerning the importance of never begging, for it is better to die of hunger, exempt from fear and guilt, than to live in affluence with perturbation. So here are these two great philosophers, Epictetus and Hook, separated by 2,000 years but arguing the same thing that it is better to die courageously than live spinelessly. We thought we had something different here, you see. We live in both a very fragile and precious experiment in democracy, and we live in an empire that is experiencing profound decline. Reptilian agenda. Okay, well, let's talk about the reptiles. So you're saying the reptilians are luring humans to like Hawaii to vacate to vacation spots. The moon was there to scare white people. I've said this for years. To live this life, you can't live the life everyone else lives. You're not going to be partying on the weekends. You're going to be performing on the weekends. You're not going to be watching the big uh, game on a Thursday night because you'll be in a club. You have to have that mindset that you don't belong. You don't go to the rhythm of the rest of the world. Sorry, I forgot to do that. I just realized, listening to my intro music again, that quote from Duncan Trussell about reptiles, some people probably think that's a serious quote. <laughs> that's hysterical. That's me lampooning the lampoon. I mean, that's like it's Inception, okay? It's five la- It's 140 layers deep chess. <laughs> that's what we're doing. All right, I have to do a shameless piece of self-promotion. But really what it is is a thank you shout-out to one of my favorite podcasts, Tinfoil Hat. So because this was a clip show, you know, we're obviously probably going to include my main sources, and uh, Sam Tripoli continues to crush it. So here's a little clip from this year's Swarmies. Now, I know he's throwing me a bone, but it still means a lot to me, man. And so I I really wanted to include this. So this is shameless self-promotion. But really, it's just me saying thank you. Um, There are a few people in my life who really have put effort in 
to help me see um, the light when times are dark. And I know that there are a lot of people who don't have that. And so one of the reasons I decided to make this podcast public in the first place, I mean, because really these are weird pieces of art for my son and then like electronic music to, to train with. I didn't have to make it public. But I did that because I knew that I felt alone when I was young, extremely, like so much so that I would watch a romantic comedy and with a happy ending and I would just be so sad at the end like why am I so alone uh, and I know there's people out there like that and that's okay it does seem to be some kind of strange but true pattern that at times you will feel extremely alone and then there will be times when you are surrounded and loved and that's if you're, you're lucky enough for your timeline to stretch out some people's timeline just a blink of the eye. They don't ever get to feel the other side where they, they feel the swing, where they feel everything shifts. What's that Buddhist saying that Jack Cornfield always says? Karma can change in a single swish of the horse's tail. Yeah, that's an old one. Okay, sorry. So here's a quick clip from Sam Tripoli. This is a thank you. And then we'll move on. Uh, Christopher Knowles is one of my favorite. His earlier episode when he brought, talked about Lady Gaga and Gaga being um, a big part of... I think um, that was last year. Was that? Okay. Well, it's so good it gets points on this one, too. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm gonna li- I like a couple people that maybe I- 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 they were sneaky good for me. Um, obviously, I always love to have Jimmy Doron. Uh, Andres Exertis, I love. Uh, I love uh, Maverick Matthews uh, talking about that time traveler dude um, that came out of nowhere. Saint uh, Germain. Saint Germain, right? I really love that episode. I love anything that deals with any of the 9/11, like S.K. Bain. I like that episode, and I love all the people. Uh, Doctor Shiva is always a favorite for me. Uh, he's one of my favorites. Um, but I I also like anybody who comes on and talks to Taria, man. So this was the 2021 Swarmies, which is an award show that Sam Tripoli gives out on his podcast, Tinfoil Hat. If you haven't listened to Tinfoil Hat, don't judge a book by its title. Go listen to the show. It's just an open-minded forum of what's possible. It's the new Coast to Coast Radio. It's amazing. I'm not just saying that because he's a friend of mine and I've been on multiple times. I'm probably the weakest fucking guest on there. Now people are coming on with like TED Talks. <laughs> and that's fine. Let those people, let TED talk. Sure, go ahead. Uh, I'm not, <laughs> I don't deserve to be there, but I'm so grateful. The last time I was on, I did lecture on a pretty cool subject that I like. And I'm sure I'll go back on again and talk about something. Sam and I are always bouncing ideas back and forth, but... um. I did a fill-in episode for him, and it ended up being on the count of St. Germain because I go down these rabbit holes. And uh, I will I will at some point talk about him on this show. But he had an unusually long life, and it's well-documented in Europe. <laughs> you can't get around it. At least 200 years, maybe longer, but uh, very likely longer. Fascinating character if you want to go read about him or just go watch that episode. I don't remember the number. Anyway... Thank you to Sam for throwing me that bone. 
I do appreciate it. Uh, to get mentioned with Tommy Chong and fucking Dr. Shiva Adorai and people who... Cultural icons, man. I'm not a cultural icon. Um, and a lot of people who go on there are not. But as my notoriety, and I can't even say the word right, <laughs> continues to grow, um, I just want to be grateful. I'm grateful. I have fucked up so many components of my life at different stages that now when I get one, uh, like, sort of right, I just want to be so grateful. Okay, so that was my attempt at bringing a little levity into the beginning here. Let's get to some, some more serious quotes. Again, if you need a list of what where all these quotes come from, I'm going to put, start putting one in the show notes. So, uh, I don't even know what's next. What is this next one? Nope, is that, that's not a conspiracy book. That's a book written by... The uh, Council on Foreign Relations historian and mentor to Bill Clinton, Dr. Carol Quigley from Georgetown, and he wrote this giant book that was given out to CIA section chiefs in the 60s and 70s, and it details what's really going on in the 20th century, right? It's, it's about the whole history and plan of the global elite for the 20th century. That's why it's such an important key book to understanding the last century, and the, the thesis of the book is just basically that the British Empire was originally behind World War One. That's actually in that, that new movie. I mean, it's hinted at in that stu stupid new movie, Kingsman. But the, 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 the purpose there was to exhaust the, um, the, the Axis powers in a war to then bring in the United Nations or the League of Nations. And then World War II exhausts the rivals to the British Empire at that phase and then and the Pax Americana, the, the Anglo-American establishment, quick, quickly calls it. And then that uh, brings in the United Nations, and then that is what is intended to um, basically bring about the future world government. So Quigley wrote his book in the midst of the Cold War, so he, did, he wrote it in late 60s, early 70s, so it doesn't go further than that. But, I mean, he was already saying in that book that the banking elite run the country, they've controlled the elections for the last 100 years. It's not a conspiracy book. Remember, this is a, a, a defense from somebody in the establishment. It's like a Brzezinski of his time, basically explaining how the world really works and how the the power money elite in the u.s or in the west pretty much control and fund and foster these conflicts as a managed dialectic to bring about a long-term goal and that's why it's it's like the most important kind of um admission book on the part of the establishment yeah oh man okay so that quote comes from tinfoil hat it's good. We're getting all these tinfoil hat ones in, in this section here. Um, so that that guest's name is Jay Dyer. Um, pretty famous guy. And uh, if you are into traditional legacy type media, this might be a good episode episode for you to start with. Um, trying to find the number here. Sorry. Uh, the, the, yeah, here. Okay. Number 526 came out on January 11th. Um which seems like years ago to me in terms of my media consumption, but it was like last week, two weeks ago maybe. Um, this The way that Dyer presents his arguments are very classical and solid, and it, it is very, he's very clear. Um, what I like about Sam's podcast is that it's all over the map. 
and you have a guy like me who comes on on 200 milligrams because Sam caught me on a Sunday and it wasn't even planned and I do would go a little nuts towards the end of the podcast and I actually had to text him I was like hey man you gotta let the gremlin be the gremlin you know and I was like but then you rein him in you know you 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 crack the whip on him but then you kind of watch the gremlin run around that's the nature of the shaman not that I'm trying to be that. Not that I want to be that. It's just I'm trying to do a true artistic expression, and that's what it ends up becoming. Sure, it's because of uh, my infatuation with Hunter Thompson, maybe, or Jim Morrison, or lost souls that wanted to become antennas for ideas, or maybe were made antennas. Anyway, sorry to digress there. That was episode 526, The Mass Psychosis of the Great Reset. <clears throat> Interestingly enough, a week later on Joe Rogan, Mass uh, Formation... Oh, no, sorry. He talks about it in this episode. A week before this, Mass Formation Psychosis is talked about a lot. Mass Formation. So anyway, okay, if you're into the true history of our country as it's unfolding... Go check out Tinfoil Hat Podcast and compare all the ideas there. What a great place to start. Okay, shifting gears. Terrible analogy. Why does everyone say fucking shifting gears? As it was coming out of my mouth, I was like, well, because it's a logical progression. I don't know. I'm getting warmed up. Here are these quotes. Okay, so this next one comes from an audiobook that I listened to recently. It was recommended to me by... Um, actually, I heard it on... Uh, tangentially Speaking, which is Dr. Christopher Ryan's podcast. He did an interview with the author. So if you if you want to listen to the author talk about this work, go listen to, uh, I don't have the podcast in front of me, but it was one of the most recent ones. I'm, it's still January. Uh, the podcast is called Tangentially Speaking, and Dr. Christopher Ryan is the host. He wrote the book Sex at Dawn, which is another great book. But this book by Harley... Lost in the Valley of Death. It's about a hiker, spiritualist, outdoorsman. It's a guy whose path is terrifyingly similar to mine. Molested as a kid. Like, so many components where I was just like, really? All these reveals where I was like, how fucking similar to me can this guy get? Rides a motorcycle. You know, I guess we're all the same kid at the end of the day. We're all the same little boy who wants to be loved. And grows up in a weird place, a weird, strange planet. And that's okay, as long as you try your best to make it a positive, engaging, exciting experience and to hurt as few feelings as possible. Now, have I been very good at the hurting few feelings? No, not lately. Not for the last five years or so. But there is a strange part about seeking out your own self with a kind of aggression that put like it's very off-putting to other people and it becomes a very strange path really quickly and people who have done it they they almost always become i don't know what they become i do not know but they become singular in a way that i just keep thinking about this quote and it ties right into this because this hiker disappeared in India, but he'd spent a lot of time in Nepal, and I was in Nepal as a spiritual seeker by myself on the trail with a porter and a guide by myself, hiking the same Himalayan mountain ranges as this guy 
right around the time he disappeared. Why is it such a trope now to be that lost man? And is it? Or am I truly just an outlier when you get into the outlier class? It has its own set of tropes as well. Of course. These are the, these are the archetypes. And it's because we're all tapped into the Akashic Records. If you'll go that far, I think I even have some quotes from <laughs> him in here as well. Okay. This book is called Lost in the Valley of Death because it's a particular part of India that used to be extremely remote, so much so that hikers, I'm, I'm to understand, still go missing there today. Now, having hiked in the Himalaya in Nepal myself, I can tell you that when I was at the airport waiting to leave, I had a panic attack because I was afraid I wouldn't be able to leave. Being in these third world countries, as a Westerner, as an American, sometimes can be so terrifying and also so clarifying. Because these people are all taking the most important things seriously. It's, it's all kept basic. And there is a kind of beauty in that. Cooking meals. Being together. Being with friends. Speaking about things that matter. And above all, wanting to be in nature and appreciating beauty. I don't know that I have more to say about that. I have to think about it. But this book is amazing, so here's a clip. Um, shout out to Dr. Chris Ryan. I hope he gets to come do an interview here. Um, I have invited him. We will see. If you know Dr. Chris Ryan or if, if you'd like to send him a message encouraging him, that'd be cool. But there's a lot of people out there I want to have conversations with, and I've just started reaching out to them and I guess arriving at a station where they acknowledge and reach back and so that feels really fucking cool it feels really cool to share that with people who are listening um, because it does prove that even if you start something as a, a wild wacky adventure if you start taking it seriously and you just keep doing it it will evolve into something interesting at the very least I think this is that famous quote the fool who persists in his folly will become wise a lot of people misinterpret this quote they think that the fool becomes wise. But no, he, he, he leaves the station of fool. Because whatever folly he's undertaking, the change comes in the persistence of that. And the persistence is a kind of discipline, and, and any kind of discipline translates to all arcs of your life, all areas of your life, all kuleana if you want to go Hawaiian. That you have everything that you have mastery over in your life. If you develop discipline in one of them, all of a sudden that discipline translates to all the others. This is my my understanding of that phrase: a fool who persists in his folly will become wise. Well, how's that possible? Well, because through that persistence, that discipline translates to all the other things he does, and each one of those things contributes a component of knowledge, and an accumulation of knowledge becomes wisdom, and an accumulation of wisdom becomes compassion. And an accumulation of compassion becomes love. Ha! See what I did there? Okay. A person who was trying to accumulate that 
in this book, Lost in the Valley of Death, by Harley Rousted. I think I said that last name. I kind of mumbled it. Let me say it right. Rustad, R-U-S-T-A-D. This is going to get heavy from here on in. But stay with it. It has a beautiful ending. There's only a handful more clips, and I will promise to talk less. So here we go. That the trip was a means to determine the next steps in his life. He had shared that he was at a point in his life where he wasn't too sure if he was doing what he was supposed to be doing. Because at times he felt like a child running from adult responsibilities. Part of that trip was to figure out if he had pushed something out or if he was on the right track. Justin bought a one-way ticket to the Philippines. Before he flew out, he posted a quote by Jack London. I would rather be ashes than dust. I would rather that my spark should burn out in a brilliant blaze than it should be stifled by dry rot. I would rather be a superb meteor, every atom of me in magnificent glow, than a sleepy and permanent planet. The function of man is to live, not to exist. I shall not waste my days in trying to prolong them. I shall use my time. Inspiration comes in weird sources. When I pick the books I read, I don't, I just pick whatever seems to be interesting and true. I don't really read any fiction. Because life is confusing enough. Um, this book is amazing. Highly recommended. Okay, I'm just going to go to this other quote here. Kind of a spoiler alert. Also heavy. Very important. She looked up the valley to where her son had wanted to go, and down the valley to where some of his scattered possessions had been located. She thought of a quote from Joseph Campbell, the comparative mythologist who had outlined the hero's journey, which had resonated so strongly for her son since he was a boy. Quote, People say that what we're all seeking is a meaning for life. I don't think that's what we're really seeking. I think that what we're seeking is an experience of being alive, so that our life experiences on the purely physical plane will have resonances within our own innermost being and reality, so that we actually feel the rapture of being alive. So that we actually feel the rapture of being alive. Let me take it one step further. What if that rapture was a kind of indication that that feeling was being imprinted on your genetic code as, as, as epigenetics. Just as children are afraid of snakes, reptiles, you know, anything dangerous. If you have children, you know that they're, you know, they have a, you don't have to teach them to be afraid of certain things that are dangerous. They know they are. As they should. It's interesting. And, and that, Epigenetic tendency must have an opposite. Uh, unequivocal events. Life stations that are very fulfilling. Explorers, perhaps, that reach pinnacles of who knows what. Any realm. If you could really imprint that into your genetics with these rapturous experiences 
that's encouraging not just your family but the species because it it echoes out like rings in a pond of course right your kids number anyway that book is amazing lost in the valley of death harley rustad um moving on one or two more quotes and then Jack Cornfield doing a little exercise and then the electronic music. This next quote comes from Jordan Peterson on Joe Rogan. He's using Bible references. He's very religious. I don't want to give the wrong impression. I am not religious. I'm spiritual. Uh, paths are very similar but also very different my mentor comes 600 years before Jesus Pythagoras Um, but everyone's path to spirituality I believe is individual so it doesn't really matter what you believe in as long as you don't worship the path you honor like what's what a spirit is an individual having a corporeal good time having a nice time with a body we want to do this with each other so badly and it some would make the argument that it is out of boredom that all conflict arises simply to see what happens i think that can be a lazy narrative but it doesn't have to be And so to uh, segue to this Jordan Peterson quote. He's he's exemplifying, he's, he's describing the most extreme conditions a person can be in. Broken down. And then the final quote is to if you stare into the abyss long enough, you you see the resurrection, you see the light. He's into the Bible metaphors, so he uses a pretty classic one. And then he demonstrates how it can be each one of us. It's fascinating. It's a great thought experiment. Here it is. Pepper for your steak. I was thinking about that in relationship to imagery of the crucifix and the story that surrounds it. So Jung thought that the passion story was archetypal because... It's a limit story, like this <laughs> this debate at Oxford. You cannot write a more tragic story. It's impossible, technically. Why? Well, because it's a story of the aggregation of everything that people are afraid of. So there was no death more painful than crucifixion. That's why the Romans invented it. It was to punish political miscreants. It was the slow, agonizing death by suffocation, essentially, and 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 dehydration and exposure it's extraordinarily painful okay so that sucks that's pain man plus you know it's coming that's part of the story plus your best friend betrayed you into it plus your people turned against you plus they're led by a tyrant who doubts truth plus you're a victim of the roman empire plus you're completely innocent plus everybody knows it plus they They choose a criminal to be released from this experience instead of you, even though they know he's a criminal and they know you're innocent. So, and you're young. 
and you've done no wrong, and all you've done is help people. So it's a limit story. Okay, so then you think, we've been looking at that limit story for 2,000 years in the image and in the story. What are we doing? Well, you're supposed to visit the stations of the cross, let's say. Okay, here's the idea. You hear the crucifixion story, and you play with it. Who are you? Maybe if you're female, you're Mary, and why is that? It's the Pieta, because you have to offer your children to the destruction of the world. That's female courage. That's the mother that doesn't hold her child back. It's like, go out. To what? Eventually, your death and destruction. Go out. Leave me. Be in the world. That's feminine courage, man, to let her baby go. You're a pilot. You doubt truth. But you're, you'll go along with the crowd. You're Judas because you betray your best friend. You're the mob. You're the criminal. All of that, that's you. You look on all those things that you hate and are terrified by. That's like, that's not a snake. It's like the worst of all possible snakes everywhere. That's what you're looking at. What do you see? You see death, you see destruction, pain, terror, tyranny, frailty, betrayal. Look harder. Look harder. Look harder. What do you see? The death and resurrection. You look far enough into the abyss, you see the light. You know, I I had a very staunch Christian upbringing. My father was seriously Catholic. I know this story inside and out. I had so much guilt thrust upon me for a false premise. And the false premise is that a father sent his son to do this, to live this limit story intentionally, knowing how it would play out. And the false premise is that he's all-powerful. Because if he was all-powerful, he would just change the premise into something, a constructive learning lesson, something else. There's so much cognitive dissonance in Christianity, it's, it's fucking wild. In every major religion. And it's all done to create two classes, us and them. And that's my fundamental problem with all religion. And why I love spirituality so much. Because true spirituality means that you're focusing on the magical thing that is animating this body and not the body itself. It's beyond humanism. It's spiritism. The idea that we're all on these crazy journeys and none of us is actually the thing that we're presenting to others. It's just the struggle that we're in right now. If I had grasped and understood this idea truly when I was younger, I would have created so much more space for others to grow and make mistakes. I think my biggest challenge right now as a man is not only that the world does not give you room to grow and make mistakes. That's just not what Mother Nature does. You know, those those uh, bear cubs that get eaten by the male bear upon spring thaw, you know, there's not room for them to grow and mature. Mother Nature doesn't give a fuck. 
Uh, and so it, it, the premise that this was like, that's just that's the fatal flaw in the, in that redemption story is that like a father sent his son to die on the cross for the sins of the world. That's ridiculous. Do you know who did? Nature did, because it's natural for us to not only die, but this is a limit story. Like Peterson says, it's all. This is a summary of all the things human beings are afraid of. It's the ultimate limit. You know, that's why he gives that list. And so as an allegory, you're supposed to look at it and say, well, I don't want to be any of those contributing factors. And so it's a lesson. It's just like the Greeks who invented theater, or not invented, but rather polished theater into its modern form so that you could watch a tragedy and not have to live one. The problem is that's become what we call media now, and it's so polluted with cancer with malformation that people don't know if they're coming or going emotionally anymore. You know what the best thing you can do for your head is? The best thing that could happen to society? It's a fucking blackout. A solar flare that knocks our entire grid out. So no one can get online and turn into garbage because they're text messaging other people all day instead of being with the person they're in the room with. You're in the room with people. Speak to them instead. I can see the handwriting on the wall. I know where this is going. Why? Because I've read so much history. I'm not some magical, uh, you know, wizard who has a costume on. You know how to find the most egotistical people in the world? Look for their costume. Are you a judge? You have a magical judge costume? You have a magical Vatican costume? Magical lawyer costume? Magical doctor costume? These are just characters that people are playing. And they are identical to the fully formed human being. Now, what does that mean? Well, that's that's a scale, too. How cognitive is everybody? How much can people focus on their own thoughts? How much energy are they willing to commit to the development of the mental self? Most people don't seem to have time. They're too tired. They're too distracted. They're too busy with all this stuff they fill their lives up with. The first time you become homeless, and I've been homeless many times, and I've also lived in castles. Actual architecture wonders. I kind of live in one now, but only because it has moxie and it's very unique. It's not an architectural wonder, it's it's a rarity. But the first time you find yourself homeless at the bottom rung of society, guess what? It doesn't have anything to do with drug use. You want to blame all these people? Oh, they're just druggies. No. Drugs are not a problem. You know what is a problem? A human being not feeling loved. Having a God-sized hole in his heart every single day. And then compounding that with not having proper parents 
or being abused. Just being neglected by society. I've met so many incredible people over the last several months as I've transitioned into this very challenging station in life. And I'm going to get back to the crucifixion in a minute. I didn't forget it. But the whole point I'm trying to make is life crucifies you. That is the lesson. And you, won't, you probably won't have every single one of these factors, the limit story. But a handful of people will. And we need to learn as a culture to treat them gently. According to the math, right now this is happening to men. Male suicide rate is four times what it is for women. I feel bad for all suicides. I'm not trying to make men's problems bigger than women's. But what I'm saying is, there's a narrative going around for everyone now to demonize everyone. You're bad. This is the new Christianity for the West. Because you know, I'm not. I'm just not picking Judaism or Islam because. You know, Christianity represents the majority of our country. It has. That's just historical. That's just what it is. If it were Muslim, I'd be preaching on that. I grew up Christian. There's a lot of incredible allegory and lessons to be learned from this religion. But it is a foundation upon which your spirituality should be built. In other words, as soon as you finish the foundation... You need to appreciate it for what it is. It's the groundwork of ethics. It's the groundwork of morals. It's the groundwork of how we treat each other. You want something better than all those religions? Go study Pythagoras. The next episode is going to be on Pythagoras because I'm about to release a book which has a bunch of my personal stories from Hollywood and all kinds of crazy stuff, but woven through it is the story of Pythagoras. Not that I'm trying to compare myself, but because I think it's a story worthy of study. Of It's very has a lot of merit. And this this will probably be the first book in the series compiling my life. I never felt like I had enough stories. In my 20s, I wrote all this stuff down. I hadn't lived a life. In my 30s, I wrote all this stuff down. I hadn't lived a life. Now I'm in my 40s. I have a kid. I'm alone. I've been crucified by life. And I'm not saying that to be the victim. I'm not saying that to get sympathy. I'm just trying to be honest about the path that I've led. I didn't choose for my father to die in front of me when I was 10. I didn't choose to get molested. I didn't choose for a volcano to cover our house that same year when I was 10. For lava to literally cover our house. I've had a set of unequivocal experiences. I didn't choose to be on the number one reality show of all time. But it was introduced to me, and a week later I was working on it. Weird things have happened to me. And unfortunately, it means that my experience is very hard for others to relate to. And I don't know if it's resentment, but there, there, a lot of hatred comes up. Because when I start expressing myself, it sounds like I'm being fancy. Hey, look at what I've done. No, man. I didn't really choose any of this. Because we certainly don't choose what mother we get popped out of. 
I mean, unless you believe the Tibetans. The Tibetan Book of the Dead, and I'm still looking for this part. This will be in a future episode. But in the Tibetan Book of the Dead, they say that you... This is what I've heard. I haven't read, read the whole thing yet. I just started it. But I've been told repeatedly that in this book, it says that you pick your next incarnation based on how your parents make love. Do you realize how shallow some people make that? Well, at the same time... How fucking important that is. It doesn't have to be this stupid, beautiful, romantic act every time. It just... there. There's a reason it's called making love. You're you're generating the energy for the entire machine. I mean, I, I would argue that this is the ultimate act a being that has been given a corporeal body can do, can engage in. There's no higher act except maybe murder and self-defense, and that would be at the opposite end of the spectrum. Murder for any reason. That's got to feel terrible. It's got to be the worst feeling ever. And then there's making love, which is on the opposite end of the spectrum. It's the best human feeling ever. You know what the French call making love? Le petit melt. The little death. Forgive my accent. I'm just learning. They call it the little death. Because it's an escape from the physical realm. And so what it is, is actually uniting two planes. It's uniting the ethereal realm, where you don't have a body, and it's uniting the physical realm where you do. Just for a moment, those two realms get to touch. I've had a similar experience on psychedelics, but it certainly wasn't as blissful. You know why? Because you're sharing it with another person. That's why dual climax is like so high on the list of like, man, wouldn't we, we, we don't give a fuck about these things anymore. We just joke about them. They're the most important things. And real couples know this. They just don't talk about it. I've talked to so many. It's a matter of focus. Like, what do you value in this life? If there's one thing I can say about my journey is that it has had a kind of beauty. <sighs> Even if it was in the Bukowski kind of way. That guy's life was beautiful too. He may not have been given graceful coping mechanisms. But he still had the dignity to write it down. And give it to the world. I think that's why he became so famous. Not because of the content of his work. But because of his bravery. Because it takes a lot. To be honest about your biggest fears. Because just articulating them. Is a kind of vulnerability. Oh, I'll use that against you. You're a little bitch. You're, you're, you're a little bitch. You're willing to get emotional in front of strangers. That makes you a little bitch, does it? 
maybe if people were more prone to be emotional in front of others, we'd live a more dynamic life. There would be more hue, more colors in the psychological experience. Because right now it seems pretty fucking flat. Don't make eye contact, stand six feet apart, put a mask on. Mass formation, we're going through a cultural psychosis and it's not by accident. It's because basically we got dominated by the exact same kind of ego that Genghis Khan had. This is nothing new historically. This is a kind of domination. It's just technological now. It uses media, it uses the play. You don't have to actually get people to submit if you make them feel guilty enough to submit themselves. And this is why I sell t-shirts that say biological sovereignty. Because if you don't take the time to program your mind, the world will program it for you. And that's not just one bad guy. That's just what will happen. Something has to program it. So start reading books. Listen to people like Joe Rogan. Don't worship anything. Let it be just the spice of your life. And to go back to the crucifixion, Aside from the fundamental fallacy in that story that a father would ever send his son to destruction intentionally when he was an omnipresent being and ultimately powerful and could just devise a different situation. Why wouldn't you just create a positive situation? Well, because these lessons can only be learned a certain way. You don't grow bigger muscles by babying them. You grow bigger muscles by ripping them apart. We should all be exploring this. Children should be exploring this. We should be exploring this in every avenue of life, observing nature as much as we can. Because that's where the true growth is. It's not by turning to authority figures who are just people on ego trips wearing costumes. That's a summary of this whole thing. Put yourself through the four stations of the cross. It's good. It's a good mind exercise. And then put that in a drawer. Put it away after you're done. And take care of your physical body. Make sure you have good nutrition as a carnivore. Okay, wow. We'll consider this the closing monologue. I really went off there. Thank you. I got way more emotional than I planned. I've done so many of these. I keep erasing them and putting them back. Obviously, I have to be brave about putting this onto the record. And it's fine. It is what it is. Human beings have hard times. And there are people out there, and this will strike the right chord. These quotes will resonate deeply. It will help them feel like their struggle is normal. Like they're not alone. Like, like, like they don't have to give up. I mean, maybe even one day... When my son's old enough, it'll do that for him. I hope he, he never gets to live the stations that I have. But it's like Peterson said about a, a mother. You know, she has to let her baby out into the world. It's like that for a father, too. And the fact that we have to feel guilty 
bringing up masculinity at all is perverse because it's half of the equation and it's important. It's where protection comes from. Nurturing comes from the mother and protection comes from the father. That's why they balance. And then they can turn to figures like the shaman. We're going to do one more quote. Wow, that was a ride. Thank you. Thank you for indulging me. I really let that one rip, but I think it's important to be a real person. I don't see a lot of this content in the world, and I want it. I want other people who have gone through meaningful challenges to articulate what gets them through. And for me, it's the media. It's books. It's music. And of course, it's friends like Sam Tripoli. People who get it, who've lost others, and who put effort in. Real effort. Not like, oh, this is what you do in this situation effort. I'm grateful to my brother. I'm grateful to my family. This has been a trying time for me. But just like any part of a journey, this too will pass into what? I do not know. I don't know what's going to pass into, but it will pass into something. So here's Peterson talking about the shamanic experience. And then we're going to do some Jack Cornfield, an actual exercise from Jack Cornfield. And then the electronic music. This one's a real banger. Music, of course, is emotional and heavy. But uh, I exercised to it yesterday. I, I went running for the first time in a month. I just haven't had the emotional fortitude to even do that. So let this lift you up somehow. Take one piece, one quote. Even if you think I'm a crazy person, that's fine. That one grain of pepper. Okay, sorry. Here is... Uh, Jordan Peterson on Joe Rogan sometime from January 2022. Maverick Matthews, pepper for your steak. Roots of these religious experiences almost certainly come from some sort of transcendent experience. Well, when Eliade mapped out the shamanic experience, he, 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 he laid out the pattern. So shaman die... They're reduced to a skeleton. They're reduced to dust. And then they climb the axis that unites heaven and earth and enter the kingdom of the ancestors and the gods. They have a paradisal experience and they come back and share it. That's, that's a death and resurrection. That's what they experience. So what does that mean? I don't know what it means, but that's what happens. And then we know from Murrescu's book, people can read it and make up their own bloody minds. Do your investigation. It was probably the origin of democracy. It was the origin of Greek culture, the Eleusinian mysteries. And was that a psychedelic experience? It's like, come up with a better hypothesis. Good luck. Well, there's physical evidence now. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. of Murrescu, yeah. all the, the, you know, all these ethnobotanists. The yeah, they know. Yeah, they know. And botanical archaeologists. Yeah, they were messing about with ergot. Yeah. 
and psilocybin. God only knows how long. I mean, how long have they? And then there's DMT in the, in the, in the Amazon. I mean, there's a massive shamanic tradition, and it yeah. stems back way into the Stone Age, and th- that's its pattern. Well, you know the the univer- was it what what university was it in in uh, Israel uh, in Jerusalem that made the connection between the burning bush and Moses and DMT mm-hmm. because of the uh, acacia tree, the acacia tree which is rich in DMT, mm-hmm. and they made this connection like most likely. No, we don't know what was in the Ark of the Covenant, right? We right. know that the people who were going to approach it purified themselves before they dared do it. Mm. You know, we know that a good psychedelic experience will drag you through your sins. That's known as a bad trip. Yeah. So what do we make of the fact that the shamanic experience, which is replicable cross-culturally and which dominated the human landscape for at least 20,000 years, we know that it involves... A, a death and a resurrection and an entry into paradise and, and a reunion with the ancestors. And so what does it mean? Who knows? Who knows? He's being, he knows he's being ridiculous. Of course we know what it means. It's supposed to be a kind of guiding language for the endurance of this life. The shaman goes into the unknown He could overdose. He could take too much of whatever he uses as his intoxicant, and that could kill him or her, whoever. That's that's what makes him a shaman in the first place. He's an outlier, the brave one that's willing to go to that place to find out the truth, maybe, for the tribe. And he's supposed to bring back that information from the spirit realm to the tribe. That's the whole premise. I would argue that the key to evolution is the idea that we're all supposed to be doing this. We're all supposed to be delving into the Akashic Records. We're all supposed to be thinking about the spiritual meaning of our lives and not listening to dogma and control systems and power grids, but actually making An educated foray into the platitudes, if you will. And comparing notes. I, I read books about, like, Europe in other centuries, and it seems like everyone was sitting around doing this. What are Americans sitting around doing? They're fucking around on their phones, texting, making TikToks, just demonstrating mental illness. I would argue that we have to develop a dialogue again. The Socratic dialectic, if you will. But Socrates got that from Aristotle, who got that from Pythagoras. Maybe I have that order wrong. I I don't know. We have to learn to talk again. And you know what it is? We have to not be so self-involved and give a shit what another person has to say. (coughs) and really a lot of this podcast is me talking to myself because I know I've done I've had a a unique experience and I have a habit of having to raise my son 
as a child, you know, he has no experience at all. It really helps you put into perspective how you're supposed to treat people who don't have experience. And, and we've been taught to do it wrong. You don't treat them disrespectfully. You have to treat them really gently. That's because we, we all started out as beautiful, perfect kids. I would argue. I don't think any kid's born evil. I, I just I haven't seen any evidence for that. I'm not saying it's impossible. I guess if there is a spectrum, it has to happen sometime. The good son, you know. Let's transition. That's a pretty good segue, though, just like the vulnerability of youth. It's a pretty good segue into this Jack Cornfield quote. Now, Jack's podcast is called Heart Wisdom. I think it's just Heart Wisdom. It might be the Heart Wisdom podcast. It doesn't matter. Just type in Jack Cornfield with a K, and I don't know what the deal is with that last name. I've always wondered. I think maybe he assumed it. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Jack Cornfield is a Buddhist scholar. And I have a lot of issues with Buddhism because I think a lot of it is unnecessary detachment and compartmentalism. But I really like about 80% of it. And that makes perfect sense. That's Bernoulli's principle. The 80-20 rule. I get 80% of my knowledge from 20% of what Jack says. I love it. This man is not perfect, but he's certainly efforting. He's been efforting in the right direction for like 50 fucking years. I could probably measure my effort in the right direction in a matter of weeks. It's like one of those signs that you see. We haven't had any injuries in 128 days, huh? And then Johnny cuts his fucking thumb off and you have to reset that shit. Zero days. That is the human experience. grateful I haven't made the mistake of doing something super dramatic I've definitely made a lot of mistakes I'm suffering through them right now but that's okay I love you thank you for being here thank you for humoring this very emotional episode I'm at a crazy station in life and remember this is one man's arc through the grand American decline. It's just, it's just one dude's life. A fucking weird one. If you were to write it down and tell me it was a movie script, I wouldn't believe you. I think we're all starting to feel that way now. So here's Jack Cornfield, and then we'll do the music. Go to my website, maverickmatthews.com, if you want to kick me a shout-out. Thank you for buying shirts. I love you guys so much. I never thought I would have a tribe like this. I can't see you or touch you. I don't even know where you are. It's like I'm talking into the ether. Which I am, of course. But then I see the numbers and I know there's people actually there. And that's crazy to me. So thank you for being there. I hope we get to meet in person. I'm working on trying to figure out some live events. Maybe in Latvia, where they apparently they want me to be their David Hasselhoff. I'm so excited. All right, here's Jack Cornfield. This is a serious one. It gets serious again. Maverick Matthews, pepper for your steak. Um, I do have a 
have a question. I don't think I have answers, though. I was hoping you might talk about equanimity. Um, too often, I, I feel like a, a leaf in the wind. Um, someone praises me, likes what I've done, and I feel buoyed and happy. Someone else argues with me or criticizes me, and my mood goes down. Um, I think with sitting, I'm becoming more aware that this happens, but I don't feel stability. I, I still feel like I'm being pushed here and there. I just wondered if you had thoughts about that. But let's do a tiny bit of practice together because it's such an important question and you've articulated it so well because already you've become quite mindful of it. So if you kind enough, let your eyes close. And remember a time, let's go for blame because that's the tough one. When somebody criticized, judged, or blamed you, let one pop up on the screen inside. You don't have to tell the content, but just remember it. Tell me when you have a scene. I do. Okay. And now notice you've got the blame arises, you know, and the judgment. And then you have a reaction. So notice what the reaction is without judging it. I think the reaction is being defensive, protecting myself, explaining to myself why I'm right. So feel that, feel the defensiveness, the protection and the contraction. If it had a center in your body, where would it be? Someplace mostly central to it. Probably my stomach. So feel that place in your stomach. And what's it like? Tight, hot, cold? Throbbing? Tight, tight, a bit uncomfortable. So feel it's tight and uncomfortable. You've been attacked, it feels like, and now you're tight and defending yourself and trying to make yourself right. One more question. How long ago did you learn to tighten up and contract and defend yourself? When did you first learn it? How old were you? Oh, gosh. Pick a, pick a number. The elementary school. I yeah. Before that. Yeah, five years old, something yeah. like that. So see this little five-year-old, Greg, and somebody's criticizing him, and he doesn't know any better. He thinks there's something wrong with him, and he has to protect himself from that. Protect, defend. So if you could put him in your lap now and hold him and say, you know, this is the way incarnation is. Some people like and some people don't. They judge and they bless and they praise and they blame. And we'll get through this, okay? Let me just hold you a little bit, see if he'll, how he likes that. Yeah, I think he likes that. Yeah. And now notice that you actually have become the witness to this whole drama, to the child who's been trying to defend himself, and to the adult who remembers and feels it in his stomach. And feel that witnessing like the space in the room. You're actually the vast base of awareness, of loving awareness, mindful loving awareness. <laughs> 
with compassion. And then you can be like those images from Kualomaroa. You see it all, rejecting none of it, with a great heart of compassion. You can hear me sobbing like a bitch in there. Take, take that language as you will. You can hear me sobbing like a child. Not because I'm trying to demonstrate anything to anybody. I was driving through the worst blizzard I've ever been in, in the mountains of Idaho, listening to Jack speak, and wondering how even this man, who seems so compassionate, he, he talks at length on the fact that he couldn't make his own personal relationship with the love of his life work. That's what he still calls her. But I don't think they're together. I mean, even this man who studied in an ashram, you know, for years, like seven years or something crazy. This challenge is bigger than human beings. If it wasn't bigger, then there would be certain people who could master it. No one has ever mastered the human experience. I'm going to say that again. No one has ever mastered the human experience. So it's okay to fail. Just try not to fail too hard. Try not to hurt people too badly. Certainly don't fail by directly hurting others. Thank you for indulging this. It has been heavy, but it's important to take these heavy journeys. If you don't take heavy journeys, you know, I believe there is a... Bernoulli's principle applies to this as well. I don't think you're supposed to be watching horror movies. I don't think that's good for the soul. I don't think that's, I don't think that's good for you. But I do think listening to people like Jack, Jordan Peterson, dramatic people, Brad Miner, Harley Roosted, Chris Ryan, Sam Tripoli, Jay Dyer, Joe Rogan. These people have emotional range, and it's clear. They're serious people. They're not trying to just have super fun ha-ha time. They're inquisitive and they're trying to be graceful. And they certainly fall on an amazing scale of, of whatever that is. Hopefully I'm on that scale somewhere. But I don't feel very graceful. I feel pretty brutal in my own human experience. But I'm still trying to honor it. I'm still realizing that you can't, this is not a game you can win. It's a game you, you have to endure gracefully. And I, I just wish I understood that more clearly when I was younger. So here is the electronic music. It's time to train. This is your opportunity to turn it all around. To show the carapace you've been given, your physical body, 
to demonstrate to whoever gave that to you, you fill in the blank, to demonstrate that you're grateful, to demonstrate that you understand some other spirit was probably waiting in line and didn't get one. I mean, go study the idea of the revolution of souls. Why has it been in the Akashic Records of all humanity for so long? Why is it a principle that it's just as enduring as any other idea? There is something that animates this body. I don't care how well goofballs who are atheists articulate themselves. They don't have any evidence either. But we know that it is historical fact that people have had strange experiences and have known things about the human species and character that other people simply could not prove until far later. And I believe this is one of them that will qualify. There is a spirit. There is a soul. The spirit is that strange connection between the soul in the world of the ether and the physical body. And there is some kind of work to be done. Now, that's as far as I'll go. I've talked to crazy preachers in any religion. They'll go a lot farther. They'll give you specifics. Here's what you do. You get yourself a bone polisher, okay? And you gotta get on that thing. I mean, I don't know why I've just picked a weird southern accent, but <laughs> take no offense at the accent. It's the ego of the people who pretend to teach. I don't know how to articulate myself away from my own ego. I just, I want people to know that I'm trying to be humble. I'm trying just to present this stuff. I'm not trying to take a moral high ground. I'm not good at all this stuff. I'm only examining it so I can get better. So thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Now let's get to training so we can improve this condition. Tony Robbins was the first person I heard say motion equals Emotion. They are the same. They are fundamentally connected. The way that you carry your body will determine how you feel. If it is slumped over and slack, you will feel poor. But if it is erect and you're trying to hold your own dignity within this human experience, silently, you will feel good. I love you. Here we go. It starts off pretty quick. It just jumps right in. Maverick Matthews, pepper for your steak.
ancestors and the dogs. They have a paradisal experience that they come back and share with. That's, that's a gift.